Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote-unquote summer body, as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong Course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury-free, and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong Course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today. Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hello, Feisty people. We have a very special project brewing at Feisty today and for the last little while. And we are actually talking about it for the first time on this podcast. So my guest today is involved in that project and I am excited to start sharing some of the details and that comes later on the show. So we have also included a link to the show notes if you want to, a link to that special project in the show notes if you want to check it out. My guest today is the one and only Erin Ayala, who holds a PhD in psychology and specializes in health and sports psychology. And as a researcher, one of the things that she discovered was that when it comes to performance, self-compassion, surprisingly, may be the number one skill you need to reach your goals. Um, And it seems to make sense because... If you have self-compassion, that allows you to learn, that allows us all to learn from our mistakes and thus improve and move towards our goals faster. Um, And that's all well and good, but in practice, from my own experience with myself and also from coaching athletes, I find that a lot of people are like really attached to beating ourselves up when we make mistakes and almost even feel like if we don't beat ourselves up, we won't learn the lessons. So we're kind of afraid to let go of this 
beating up process and self-compassion just kind of goes by the wayside. So hearing from Aaron that self-compassion can help us achieve our goals was really important to me. Um, Aaron and I unpack this uh, closer to the end of the episode and we learn how to let go of mistakes quickly while ensuring that we learn the lessons we need to keep moving forward. So before we jump in with Aaron, I just want to say how much I appreciate the partners who come alongside us on this podcast, uh, the Women's Performance Podcast, but also in all of Feisty. And um, they help us continue to talk about the things that we care about. So let's hear from them first. Erin, hi, good to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you. I'm okay, just to start, give us a um give us an idea what kind of athletes that you work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I think one thing that's so cool about sports psychology is that we see everyone. Um, I think most of my athletes are endurance athletes. I work with a lot of high school girls in traditional sports, but especially the track and field, cross-country runners, um, mountain bikers. Um, And then I also see some more non-traditional sports. I've seen like rock climbing, um, like rodeo, like barrel racing with horses. Um, We've had race car drivers, professional and Olympic athletes, curlers, like name the sport, the discipline. We've probably worked with someone in it. Wow. So interesting. So do you find that like the skill set needed for success in those different sports, like does it overlap? Is it the same or is it, is it more varied? Good question. I'd say it's definitely similar and the culture of the sport will make certain things more challenging. So for example, um, endurance athletes are very, very much like focused on outcome goals and like PRs, PBs, splits, times, because that's how we measure our personal progress, right? Um, So it can be harder for me to convince endurance athletes to set process goals because it's something that they're not really used to doing. Whereas when I work with other sports where perfection is a part of the sport, so I'm thinking figure skating, um, diving, dance, gymnastics, where like the cleaner the program, the better you are as an athlete, or so they say or think, right? The the perfectionism can be a much bigger issue that we typically unpack than what I might see in other sports where you can quote unquote win ugly, right? Yeah. Yeah. So really similar issues and skills, but they show up in different ways based on the culture of the sport. Right. And I'm sure some people have asked you this before, but like, what are the qualities just overarching that you think someone needs to, to be a successful athlete, like to be a world champion or to achieve their goals? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's such a huge question, right? So we did a lot of research on this, um, that over the past few years to try to unpack this and because a lot of people will, you know, let's say you go to the doctor's office or a therapy office, you might have a symptom checklist that you kind of fill out and we can tell if people are doing better, if their symptoms get you know, better. But sports psychology is so different because it's not just about your stats or your record or your performance. Like we want our athletes to be happy as well, but being happy and not performing well also is not... <laughs> like very good for us to <laughs> right, do, right? Yeah. Like we want our athletes to improve as well. So, so we, um, we did this really big study a few years ago and brought in a lot of subject matter experts. And we, we asked them, what are the actions, thoughts, and feelings that athletes need to maximize their performance and their mental health? And the biggest area or piece of the pie comes down to having a growth mindset and high levels of self-compassion where you're willing to lean into adversity and making mistakes and learning from them. Um, And kind of that, it's that sense of like persistence and grittiness, but you're doing it in a way where you're being really kind to yourself when you don't meet your expectations. And then you're able to flex when things don't go your way. So think like the, often the more rigid the athlete, the more difficult it can be when it comes to performance. Um, which a lot of endurance athletes, myself included, are very type A, right? We'll have like a certain expectation, but I think the best and the most successful athletes are the ones who are able to kind of flex and bend when needed. 
That's so interesting because it feels kind of counterintuitive or even counter to like how culturally we see athletes as being like very rigid with their diet and their um, schedules and sleep and all of those things. Right. And Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing you say is that it's kind of the opposite. It's like allowing a bit of like bumbling along and accepting yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's there's um, James Clear does a lot of really great research on habits. So I don't know if any followers have, you know, read the book Atomic Habits or listened to it. Really great person to follow on Instagram as well. And one of the things that he said is it's not the first time you like break a habit or slip that's most important because we're all human. Everyone does it. It's the second time in a row where like, am I going to jump back on to like these regular consistent habits and practice, or am I going to kind of turn this into more of a like permanent trajectory going in a different direction? And I think a lot of athletes, especially when it comes to like diet and nutrition or a new like strength, you know, schedule or core regimen will be like, oh, I'm going to do all these things. And then the first day we miss it, we're really hard on ourselves. And then we like let it slide, but it's really important to like, let it slide and then pick it back up the next day because the consistency is ultimately what's most important. So in that, like, how do you convince people of that? So in my experience, like I have a little bit of experience as a coach coaching amateur Ironman athletes, right? And my experience tells me that people are afraid to let themselves fail because they're afraid that like they're going to, if you let yourself constantly like fail and go back, fail and go back, that it becomes a pattern that you somehow, does that make sense? Like you somehow, like if you don't, if you let go of the perfectionism, that somehow you're just going to let it all go <laughs> like and lie on the sofa and, and eat bonbons, you know, <laughs> like, like, do you feel like, is that like a real fear that you see with people? And it's how a you real fear. Yeah. That? Like this idea of like, kind of thinking of this, sometimes I'll do this kind of complete the sentence activity with athletes. So I'll say, okay, finish the sentence for me. If I miss today's workout, then dot, 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 dot. And it often leads to this like rabbit hole of like, I'll never work out again for the rest of my life. <laughs> like I won't be an athlete anymore, or I'm not a good, you know, runner or whatever it might be. Um, and so it's, it's like, okay, hold up, you know, like what are, and especially thinking of it from that whole perspective, right? If you're super stressed because of work or life or like life is just handing you a whole lot of challenges that day and you force yourself to get that workout in like you're you're hurting yourself because your immune system is working that much harder and you might be getting less sleep or poor quality sleep like you're setting yourself up for injury or burnout is what you're doing so like the best thing you can do is is let it go when you need to yeah so that i think you know again like that that self compassion like how do you uh, so with, when someone like that, if you have someone who's found out that like, or you find out they've gone down this rabbit hole, when they answer that question of like, I will never work out again. Like I'll let myself go completely. I I just think that's so, so how do you, like what kind of technique do you use to change their mind? Mm-hmm. I'll often ask them to kind of check that thought and be like, okay, what evidence is there that that's actually going to happen? Like in your entire you know, how many years you've lived, right? Like how many of them have you been a complete couch potato and you've done absolutely nothing, especially when it comes to a lot of the like adult athlete clients who I work with, like it's a part of their identity being an athlete. Like you're not just going to give that up. Um, And so, and I think that's right. This like cognitive dissonance because in athletes always experience human beings in general experience friction when like our behaviors don't line up with our identity and who we think we are, which is why it's hard for athletes to miss workouts because then they're like, well, I'm an athlete and I'm missing a workout and I shouldn't be doing that. And that's where these like shoulds and these rules come into play. Um, And so I think there's a fear of losing that piece of their identity. And so you kind of help them check that be like, realistically, how likely is it that that's going to happen? And then I'll also usually do some psychoeducation as well and being like, okay, well, what are the risks if you, like muscle through this one, you know, like you've got a niggle and your ankle or your knee has been causing pain. Like what are the potential disadvantages of doing five miles anyway? Um, And it's often like injury, 
right? And so it's like, well, what what are you willing to risk? Yeah, that's a really great question. I'm also thinking of, you know, when I look back on my triathlon career, I observed, like I'm thinking of one multiple world champion in particular who I know is like completely fueled by anger. Yeah. Um, and, and would talk about that openly, you know, and was able to like leverage his own anger into winning, mm-hmm. which is like kind of, he would be super, uh, he created these training regimes that would be, he would be very strict on him. like literally the opposite of what you're now describing. Right. So I know that that can also create an ability to like those kinds of less self-compassionate <laughs> roads can lead to success as well. So like, it's really interesting to me that that came out. It's not surprising, but I'm like, oh, there are other paths too. Mm-hmm. So like, how do you, um, yeah. Like, do you think that that's the self-compassion path creates more champions or more championship mindset? Or how do you like pull mm-hmm. those things together? Yeah. I think one of the best skills that an athlete can have is knowing when to increase or decrease their level of like arousal. Like, so how, how physiologically activated are they? Right. And you'll often see kind of this, you know, upside down curve where you are like super, super chill, hanging out with your dog at home on the couch in front of a fireplace. And then like, you are not primed to go out and run a sprint triathlon. Like you are probably not going to do very well, but if you also have really, really high levels of anger or anxiety, like pre-race anxiety, um, or just like really high stress levels where it was just an awful morning, you know, with like kids, family, job, juggling all of the things, you're also not going to do very well. And so the best skill that an athlete can have is knowing like where on that curve do they need to be to have the right level of arousal for peak performance. But the thing that's interesting is like introverts, for example, in general need lower levels to be, to kind of get that peak performance. Oh, that is Um, whereas like extroverts need a little bit more. So anger could be one of those tools, right? Because that activates that sympathetic nervous system where like our heart starts beating faster. Our respirations are faster and more shallow. We might be a little like clammy, like, but we're like worked up. Right. Um, and so I would say that that anger is one tool for the toolbox my question to the athlete would be like, is that sustainable? Right. Because if, if it is, and he's able or she, or they can like dial up the anger, whatever, like, and it works for them. All right. But I would ask like, are you beating yourself up along the way? Because if you are, then now you're like the bully and the victim at the same time. And so you're like doubling down on the cortisol, like there Uh are other ways. So, right. Yeah. And then how do you, so if like one of the key factors to performance is like knowing essentially how, how did you phrase it? Like knowing like how to kind of like dial up and down the arousal, like where on that, like ideal, we call it like the zone of optimal functioning. Um, Like where on that, where in that zone are you? Like, are you way too anxious? Because then you need to kind of bring yourself down a little bit. And that's going to be like deep breaths. go and hide by yourself for five minutes and isolate and kind of like recenter, do some visualization, um, do other like calming activities. Right. But then there's the other side where they're not revved up enough. And you have, we all have those races where we're like, I don't really feel like being here right now. Like I'm just not in the mood. Then the best thing you can do for yourself is increase that, that arousal in some way. And it could be like a hype song. Like I have a client right now who's obsessed with Taylor Swift. So when T-Swift came out with the new album, like that was her jam for like hyping herself up before races. Right. Um, Or it could be like, you know, football players like butting heads or chest bumping or yelling in the locker room. So you'll see them do different strategies on how to kind of bring themselves up and down when the right. Like cranking Pitbull in the car on my way yes. to CrossFit. Is that? Yes, <laughs> Does that count? Yeah. For me lately, it's been Lizzo. Like, oh, yeah. Lizzo. Yeah, totally. Nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Lizzo's on my list too. So then like where during, so during training, 
like, are, do you need a different level of arousal? Like, where would you be? To, where would you want to get yourself to for an important training session versus um, a race? Totally. It's usually, um, and same thing for like the level of competition, right? So like Kona is going to be different than like a regional, like sprint or Olympic distance triathlon. Um, like qualifying events in general are going to be more like high stress. And so in general, like for training, you're probably not going to need as much arousal. But if it's like an interval session, then you might need more because you have to dial up that intensity and you're asking your body like to do more. Right. So it kind of depends. And it's interesting because I think athletes, especially like with the pandemic were like Zwift racing and kind of at home, you have to switch gears a little bit faster and kind of set your environment up in a way that's going to support you and kind of getting in the zone. But that's hard if like your trainer or your, you know, treadmill is just like in the other room and you've got kids asking you for a snack or like you don't have that same compartmentalization. So that's been an interesting thing that I've seen. Right. And what, how, what do you suggest for those, for people who have that kind of like lack of, yeah, but better, like I, my, my life's very much like that. Like I have to switch my brain. I'm on a work call in the car on the way to picking my daughter up. And then I have to switch to like, how are you? How was your day? Like prepare her for what's going to come next because we're going to go home and then I'm doing something else for work. Right? So like, how do you, um, yeah. How, what do you suggest for those people who have to s- switch in and out real quick? I think like boundaries are huge. Um, especially for women, especially for people who have been socialized to be caretakers, cause we're not used to putting our needs first. Um, but if you're doing like a race or a Zwift race, or you have a really important like workout that you want to get in on the treadmill, or you want to sneak away to the pool or, you know, whatever it might be. And then like other things start to get in the way. It's kind of reminding yourself that you're probably going to be a better like friend, family member, partner by doing those things and doing them in a way that like works well for you. And so one of the things I always encourage athletes to doing like team activities to help with communication is like, what are your personal quirks and needs as an athlete? And when you get stressed, what does that look like? And communicate those things with the people around you. Um, so I also do a lot of this with, I have a lot of 15 and 16 year old girls as clients, (laughs) the number one thing I'll be like, what do you need from your parents? And the number one response is like, I just need them to chill. (laughs) And so I'm like, well, we're not going to tell mom to chill. Like, what does that look like before your race? Like, I just need some space. Like, okay, good. So then let's have that conversation of being like, Hey, I'm anxious about this race. So like, let me just kind of go and hide in the basement for an hour and I'll come back when I'm done. Right. So similar where you're just setting the tone and addressing your needs from the beginning. Cause then you don't get resentful and frustrated. Yeah. Interesting. And is there, like, do you have like a checklist of like the physical? So if you're aiming for like a certain level of arousal, let's say like a mid-level arousal, cause you're going to an important training session, not a race, like, do you have a checklist of like things to look for in your body or something that someone could like run through quickly to know if they're in the right place. Yeah. Oh, I wish there, I'm sure there's something out there. If there's not, we should make one. Um, the one I always say is like, think about the decisions you're making when you're training and performing, because if those decisions are emotional, you're probably too far like activated. And one of the reasons is when our sympathetic nervous system is super activated, we are more likely to make emotional decisions driven by like the amygdala or that fear response. So that's why sometimes you'll see athletes will be like, I have no idea why I did that. Like that was stupid. Like the pass is right there. It was right in front of me. They're probably just too stimulated in that moment. Um, Or I've had like golfers who will just change clubs, even a club that they never use in the middle of like a really intense tournament, like you were probably way too revved up because you weren't thinking clearly. And that like thought process and like making clear logical decisions is one of those indicators where you're able to kind of like see your surroundings and make the decisions that are best for you. So like for a triathlete, for me, like with time trials, like ignoring my numbers, being like, oh, this is fine. I can maintain this. Like, no, right. <laughs> and I can't. 
Um, right. like, like that's it, a sign. I was probably too. Yeah. Like, like you're out of the gates at 400 Watts. Exactly. Like it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Been there. Right. And so that's probably a sign. I was making more of an emotional decision. I wasn't thinking logically. I was probably too stimulated in that moment. Um, so that's a big sign. And then the other one for athletes is, um, just like physiologically, how relaxed are you? So like, if you're clenching your muscles, Mm. that's a sign that you're probably too, too like stimulated. And so you can do kind of a quick body scan of being like, okay, how's my posture? Like, can I like flex my quads and then release them things like that to kind of check in with yourself. And if you're like super revved up, you'll, you'll feel really tense and then you can kind of bring yourself down. Yeah. Do most people tend to get too revved up and need to come down from that? Yeah, I'd say so. Mm -hmm. And what do you tell someone who's that unusual opposite? Like, who's just like, like relaxed to the point of (laughs) lying on the ground. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's honestly what most often I feel like that's the case of like athletic burnout where athletes are just kind of blah, like they're just not super motivated to be there anymore. And so then I'll ask them, I'll be like, okay, who are your hype people? Like, who are the people that really can get you hyped and revved up? Like you need to call on them for some support this week. Um, and then I'll also ask them like to create a playlist that of their favorite hype tunes. Um, and then a- another thing that's helpful, this is a fun kind of confidence fact is we know that the behaviors of confidence come before the feelings. Cause if you like, Oh, that's interesting. Feeling, yeah. Um, like if you rely on the feeling, like some of you will never become like some people just naturally feel more confident, but great for them. Um, but not a lot of people do. And a lot of people will kind of wait for this feeling of confidence and they'll do the same thing with motivation. And so what I'll say to them is saying like, okay, let's pretend that you had the perfect, like, zone of arousal, like the perfect motivation, the perfect confidence, what would that look like? Like, how would I know if I was watching you perform, what would I see? And then we'll like list all those things out. And so then I'll be like, okay, so what's getting in the way of you doing those things now? Um, And often it's, it's just a feeling, well, I don't feel motivated enough. Like, okay, well, how about you focus on this and this for your race tomorrow? Like that doesn't have to depend on motivation, right? So those that's kind of making it like giving them homework can be helpful. Like try it as an experiment and see what happens. Yeah, totally. So I often play through this one in my head too, because like even as a business owner, I'm like, okay, like sometimes I'm having like extreme moments of, I don't know, imposter syndrome, for example. Like that's a good one that I, I think an athlete would also feel like I'm going into a meeting with someone who's, way more successful than me at business or trying to pitch them something, <laughs> you know, and it's that same kind of thing that I try to tell myself. I'm like, it doesn't matter kind of like how I feel right now, because I can just still behave the same way that I would if I, if I felt confident. Right. Um, and I know you just described a little bit about it, but like, how do we, how do we teach ourselves that or to do that more often once we kind of get it quote unquote like how do we bring ourselves back we can and not lose ourselves to the the demotivation or or the self-criticism yeah I think it's like reminding yourself if I'm like if I'm not if I'm comfortable like I'm not growing and so like what are your goals like do you really want to be a quote unquote better entrepreneur like whatever that looks like or a better athlete or faster stronger athlete right then okay, what, what are the behaviors that go along with that? Like, let's start there. Um, and so I think what I'll often do is say like, what does that look like for you? Who do you want to be as an athlete? Who do you want to be as a business owner? Like, what do you want to be known for? And then if you were really leaning into those values and doing those things, what would that look like? Like, those are the things that you have control over. Right. And would you write those things down? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll do, it's fun. We've got like, in our offices. Um, so I work in a group practice with 15 other sports psychology consultants and performer or performance consultants and psychologists and providers. And we all have whiteboards in our offices. And so we'll often just like, you know, sports, like drawing out plays and drawing things out on the whiteboard. 
So we'll often use the whiteboard to like list a bunch of things out because then it creates a bigger impact with the athletes where they're like, oh, I actually have control over all of these things. Um, so, but then I say, start small, right? Like don't set yourself up for failure and be like, tomorrow I'm going to do all of these things. Like that's a lot to think about. So start with one. Yeah. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Yeah, okay, is a happy athlete a fast athlete? Like, is that, is that true? I think so. Yeah. That's like, so one thing we know is actually, I don't know if there is, there's gotta be research on this. I do know that there's research on like performance satisfaction and 
self-compassion and self-criticism um where like the more compassionate and kind you are to yourself the happy you are with your performance um and this is like over like the course of a season right where in general you're going to be more satisfied with how you've showed up as an athlete um i think happier athletes from a physiological perspective aren't going to have as much cortisol or like immune suppression or responses, like they'll have less inflammation. Um, and so because of all of those things, they'll probably be able to perform better. Same thing like sleep. Um, right. So like, I think about the things that lead to unhappy athletes and it's usually toxic coaching or team environments, a lack of taking care of the little things like hydration and sleep and injury recovery. And those are also the things that like really stress your body. And so it's harder to get a peak performance in those situations. Right. I'm thinking about, there's like this tension and I think this would probably apply to amateur athletes too, but sometimes I feel like there's this tension between um, understanding like everything that you personally need to do to reach your goals and that feeling like something that's going to make you unhappy. Right. So like just just as an example, because so, I know it's kind of, it's kind of a cryptic question, but like, you know, I you know I've spent time with a couple of different world champions during my career, and one of them in particular I can think of. Generally, people thought that she was very rigid. You know, she's boring. She's rigid. All she does is training, and you know, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't care if I'm third and she's first because I don't have to. But what what they don't with the people who are like, okay, I don't want to do that, aren't seeing is that she, like, I knew her well enough to know, is very, very happy during that rigid training phase. Like, she loves it. She loves it so much. Like, so how do we sometimes bridge that gap between where it's like, okay, I have this goal, but I'm not sure I totally love the process to get there. Like, can I learn to love it? Or should I let go of the goal? Yes. Yeah. There's a um, really good research and, and information out there about like the difference between values and goals. Mm. And so that's where I'll lean into that conversation. And I'll, so I'll say like, okay, you can have a goal. This is the end point. We can check it off the list. Either it happens or it doesn't happen. There's going to be a lot of stuff happening in between, like from now to get there, right? It might be to like qualify for Kona or run your first marathon or whatever that might be. Um, you could meet your goal and be really unhappy and show up as an athlete like that you are not proud of or that you do not want to be. Um, but chances are you don't really want that. So what would like an ideal journey look like for you? And that's where we get to the values. And so I'll say, let's say you meet this goal. Let's say you, you know, hang up your running shoes, you retire. Um, people talk about you know, what you were like as an athlete, what words do you want them to use to describe you? Um, And that's where it starts to tap into the value system. And so we say, think of the values as like a compass because they're pointing you in the direction um, that you want to go. And then your goals can come after that. And so we'll say like, so then I'll say, okay, let's say you want to do, or your first full Ironman, like what would you have to sacrifice in order to get the training volume in? Like financially, what would that mean for you? What would it mean for like your family or your relationships, right? And then can you do those things while also being the athlete that you really want to be? And then if the answer is like, no, because I want to like be the best of the best or I want to win or I want, you know, it's like a really intense goal, then like, then something's going to have to shift and it's up to you on what that, what you want that to be. Like you can kind of let go of, that value system, knowing that it'll be hard for you during that, that whole training season. Um, and then have conversations with the people that it'll affect you, or you can adjust your goal so that you can show up in the way that you really want. Right. It's interesting. Cause it's like hard to learn sometimes where that, like when you need to adjust something because of time management or how much can I really handle? And am I just telling myself I can't do it? Or can I really not do it? You know, like this is actually something, this is like a little bit personal right now because I'm kind of looking at, so for example, I've been doing CrossFit for five years after my yeah, 
I've never really taken it seriously. I completely love it. Like I love doing CrossFit, but I've always just kind of just showed up. I just show up. I do the thing, you know, (laughs) it's like, but I do love it enough to create, to want to improve. Right. But I've had trouble creating an environment where I can improve because I know what it means to improve at sport. I don't need to be amazing at it, but I would love to spend a couple hours a day at it. I'm also, on the other hand, trying to build a multi-million dollar business, trying to be a, a the best parent and partner I can be. Like, am I setting, <laughs> like, am I setting it too high? Like, what's going to go? Like, it's best parent is that I can be is probably not going to be the first thing I knock off the list, right? So, like, how do I figure out, like, if, like when you've taken on too much or like when your yeah. expectations are too high or, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so far I've kind of just like, let the, let the CrossFit sit where it sits. Like this thing that helps with my mental health, it keeps me active and it's fine, but I'm actually find myself questioning it right now. Like, am I just, am I setting the bar a little too low? Like, can it just notch it up and be a little bit happier with the way that I'm performing and improving? Yep. Yeah. I think I would suggest, so So there's two things I'd suggest. One is more of like a practical, logical one. And then one is kind of more of a like self-reflection one. So the practical, logical one, I would say like, okay, if you were to dial up like how serious or committed you were to CrossFit and you were to give yourself, I don't know, like five levels, right? From like one is where you currently are and five would be like training for um, like the... I don't know. I can't remember what they're called. The, the CrossFit games. Yeah. CrossFit yeah. games. Right. So <laughs> yeah. then what would levels two, three, and four look like for you? Right. And then like sit with that and think about how do each of these levels fit with me, like building up the company I want and the parent I want to be and the partner I want to be. Um, so that's kind of like the practical. Cause often I think, I don't know, humans, we, our brains just like simplicity. And so we'll, we are really good at black and white thinking. And that all or nothing, like either I take it super seriously or I'm like a recreational athlete. Like, can you be in the middle? Like, what would that look like? Right. So that's my first question is to kind of challenge that idea of like, what options do you have? Cause you probably have more than you think. And then the second one is this, I, I love this analogy. It's um, if you think of like softball or baseball and let's say, um, someone hits a batter, hits a fly ball, goes all the way out to outfield. Um, outfielder is, has their arm up, like they're backing up. They're looking at the ball, right? How do they know when they're going to hit the fence or the wall behind them? Hmm. It's often basically what happens is the terrain changes. Um, I just raised my hand and let zoom somehow. I know we're just sort of let the listeners in on this one. It's so funny. Like like, it automatically like like, little emoji. Yeah. (laughs) It just knew that you had your hand up. Okay. Sorry. So how does the outfielder know that they're going to hit the wall behind them or the fence behind them? Mm -hmm. The, the terrain underneath their feet changes from like that turf to that gravel or that sand. Oh yeah. Yeah. And if you look at like an overhead shot of a, like a baseball or softball stadium, you can see this, like this strip of dirt and it's called the warning, like the warning track. And it's designed for outfielders to be able to sense that change in terrain and to warn them that the wall or the fence behind them, right. And that they're about to hit the wall. So they have to make a decision. And am I going to keep going? And a lot of them do, or am I going to slow down? And so what I say to all my athletes is like, we all have our own warning track and we have to figure out what that looks like for us. How do you know when you're going to hit the wall? Um, And if you don't know, ask your kids, ask your partner, ask your roommates, your teammates, best friends, like ask the people in your life who are close to you because they will tell you. Um, So I can use my own examples at, if I like double book a meeting or forget a meeting or appointment, that's one of my warning tracks because I'm usually really high in like conscientiousness. So if I like forget a commitment, that means my brain is elsewhere. Um, irritability, really common for most athletes, including me. So like if my spouse is chewing carrots too loudly or chips too loudly, 
and I get really irritable. Oh, the chewing. Yeah, totally. That's like one of my things. Right. So if I'm like, if I need to leave the room, I need to like, that's my warning track. That's where I know this is one of my things. I'm burning the candle at both ends. I need to chill. Um, so those are two examples. Another one for me is missing workouts because I find so much satisfaction at like getting the green and training peaks and checking them off. Right. So that's what I would say to you and any other athlete is like, it, it's going to, of course it depends, right. Then it'll look different for everyone. So what, what does that warning track look like for you? And then pay attention to it. Um, because we can still, for, we can still ignore it and hit the wall and then like get sick and miss a week or two of training and <laughs> get into argument with our spouses, whatever it is. Right. Um, or we can listen to it and we can try to adjust other things in our life to like make it work. Yeah. And then when, you know, when athletes are feeling demotivated, like they don't want to go out the door or like for me, sometimes I'm like a little demotivated with my business. That might be part of my, that's why I thought of it might be part of my warning track is like actually feeling is demotivated even a word? I think I've used it three times now. Yeah, you can say unmotivated. Like, a, like a motivated is a lack a of motivated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A motivated is mm-hmm. what I meant. Like, is there ever a time to lean into that and go, actually, I'm not feeling motivated. I just need to rest or is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. A hundred percent. And that's where that self-compassion comes in is like one of the things that we look at. And one of the themes that came up for us in our research is athletes need to like be kind to themselves and like allow themselves to take a break when needed, even if it's not planned. And the decision of course is, you know, going to depend on who the person is, but sometimes you just had a really rough day with like work or family or school or life. And like, you just want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix and like snack, like, fine. Like do that in moderation, right? Like just, I say like, do it, just do it intentionally. Right. And like asking yourself, what is the best thing that I can do for myself right now? Is it to like get on the bike and do a threshold workout? Like not always. (laughs) So, or is it one of those things where I'm just making excuses and I know that I can totally do it. Right. Right. That's where it's, I think it's a process of like experimentation. Yeah. Um, Because often the lack of motivation, like then once you're on the bike or once you're running, you're fine. Yeah. Um, So I know some athletes will also do like a 10 minute rule or a one mile rule. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, just do the warm up. Yeah. Just do the warm up Mm -hmm. and then decide. Mm -hmm. Just do one mile and then call it quits if you want to. That's really interesting. Like what you're seeing in terms of, because I think a lot of people struggle to with self-compassion for the reasons that we sort of talked about earlier, that like, they're afraid that if they let themselves go, they'll really let themselves go. And then, but pairing that with what I'm hearing you saying now is like the ability to be honest with yourself is actually, so it's like, I'm not feeling motivated. Mm-hmm. what is the real reason? Do I need to like put on my shoes and just do the warm up, or do I actually need a break? Right. Like that maybe is where the magic happens. Would you say that? I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's so hard is like, I, as a sports psychologist, I don't know the answer. Right. Um, like my client is the one who does. And sometimes, sometimes they don't know either. Mm-hmm. But then I say like, okay, you do you. And then we're going to talk about whatever happens <laughs> and we're going to learn from it. Um, Cause I've had some clients. I had one client recently who I, I actually encouraged her. I don't, I don't often like provide really direct advice, but she was just really burnt out. Um, and I was like, maybe you like just shouldn't go to this next competition. She had already registered. Um, her parents had already like asked her to not go because it was like, she's just so frustrated and hard on herself and was just so burned out. It was leaking into everything. And I was like, maybe you just shouldn't go. And she said to me, I really appreciated that. She's like, see, but just hearing that makes me want to go even more so that I can do it out of spite and prove to everyone that I can do it for fun. Um, and I was like, all right. So then your home, your only goal is to have fun. Like, I don't care what your points are for this competition or how fast you are or how strong you are. Like, you're going to, if you're going to go out of spite, fine, 
I appreciate how persistent and stubborn you are, (laughs) but like, then you better show up and do it in the way that you want. And did she? She did. Yes. Right. And of course had the best performance like she's had yet. And it was amazing, but it was like, she had to take that pressure off of herself because athletes who are putting pressure on themselves are not in general, are not going to perform well. Right. And that like that in and of itself, I find very empowering. And even everything you're just, you kind of have been describing about how your research showed that self-compassion is one of the markers of success or growth mindset or learning from mistakes, right? Like if you could tell yourself that, right. That like, okay, the best in the world learn from their mistakes. I'm going to learn from mine. Right. Yeah. And just being intentional with it, right? Like asking yourself, I have a lot of my clients use like a journal and it doesn't have to be super fancy. You don't have to have a super long entry. It can be like a spreadsheet and Google sheets if you want. And just ask yourself what went well and then what's worth improving after like each day, if you want to be super disciplined or each competition, Mm -hmm. because if you're not reflecting on it, then you're not, you're, you're not going to be as intentional about your growth and getting better. Right. So like you could be an athlete with really high levels of self-compassion, but if you're not very disciplined, you're probably not going to be as successful as you want. And so one way to have good self-compassion and like lean into those sports psych skills is to be really intentional and being like, okay, what have I been doing that I want to change? Like, what are the patterns? Like, oh, I've been really good at getting my morning workouts in. Um, One thing I did, I did this a while back and I noticed I was consistently, whenever I went fat biking, I'm here in Minnesota, lots of snow. We do not have dirt right now. Um, So I was on my fat bike on some of the single track and the what, what's worth improving line. I kept consistently putting like, stop with a death grip on the handlebars. You're too tense. Yeah. But I totally would have forgotten if I wouldn't have like come back and written that down every day, because it's like, once you're off the trail, your wrists don't hurt anymore. You're fine. Right. So I think that's another thing that I encourage my athletes to do is like, be kind to yourself, let yourself make mistakes, but then learn from them. Right. I love that. Like, that's the key, isn't it? Right. Like that's where you can stop someone from feeling like they're just letting themselves off the hook by being overly compassionate with themselves. It's like, actually that's fine. Like let yourself off the hook. And (laughs) like, what, what did we learn here today? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And then you feel like you're on a path of self-improvement and then, you know, what could go wrong? (laughs) Especially with like things you have control over for. Right. And so like, I'll say to I'll say to my athletes, like, you can say like, what's worth improving. Like, it can't be this like Minnesota passive aggressive, like, well, at least I didn't blah, 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 blah. Like, no, like that's like this (laughs) underhanded language of like, well, I still actually suck, but at least I didn't suck this bad. Like, no, like, okay. I was circle swimming and I passed um, two people, but I could have passed another one and I wasn't confident enough to do it. Like, okay, good. That's what's worth improving. You're going to pass the next, you're going to pass them the next time. Right. Um, so it's like, try to be strength focused or behavior focused, or it's like, well, at least it was, you know, 60 and sunny, like, okay, that's great. But like, what did you do to appreciate that? You know? Or like, so yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, do you find uh, just, do you find that like um, the mental, like mental strength is like, is it innate for some people and for other people learned or like, where does that sort of play out? Or do you even know? That's such a great question. I anecdote, I can only answer anecdotally. And I feel like it's similar to other personality characteristics where it like is more innate for some people than others. Like I know some athletes who can, they can dig so deep and I don't know how they do it. Um, that said, it's something you can totally work on. Um, especially endurance sports because it's such a mental game on being like, I don't know if I can maintain this pace or like, this is good enough. I'll just stay comfortable right here. Um, like there are totally ways that you can work on it, but I think it's one of those things where part of it is innate. And then the other part is how much are you willing to like be disciplined and lean into it to get the most you can out of it? 
Cool. Okay. Well, Erin, we have a secret project. <laughs> Yay. Feisty project that we are working on together. Actually, mm-hmm. I can say this much that like Feisty Media 2023, we're um, investing super hard in a, creating an online um, education platform, which I'm so excited about. And our first online course is about fueling for female athletes. Um, so we, we have a dietitian, dietitian, nutritionist, um, working, working with us, but you are also doing a couple modules for this course. So tell us a little bit, I'm super excited about it. I obviously know, so I'm asking a question. I know the answer to you, but like, why do we have a sports psychologist working on a sports nutrition uh, course? I think especially for female athletes, especially for women, um, we are, there are so many rules and guidelines and expectations, frankly, a lot of which are complete BS about what female athletes are supposed to look like or how we're supposed to fuel. Um, and that impacts us like from the start, right. As early as like elementary school, middle school, we're creating these rules and guidelines about what we're supposed to eat, what we're not supposed to eat. So the psychology of food is huge, especially when it comes to mental health and athletes, because nutrition is a huge component of performance, but nutrition is very much affected by someone's mental health and their relationship with food and their relationship with their body. Um, And there's so much to unpack when it comes to that body confidence and body esteem and how female athletes feel about their bodies. Mm-hmm. And then you pair that with like their eating and fueling behaviors and like that could be another course in and of itself. So, so that's why I'm thrilled that you reached out because I think it's such a ripe topic and something that's so, so important for us to understand. Totally. And I think, I know we're on the same page with this, but like, I did not want to approach fueling. I mean, even calling food fuel is a little bit like sometimes a little bit like, should we, should we, but um, but I didn't want to approach a topic of nutrition without addressing like all that extra cultural yeah. baggage and all the stuff that we, because then you're never getting to, and that's kind of how I feel about other nutrition resources that are out there for active women just broadly is that it's like, okay, I can't jump straight from what I'm doing now to like counting calories and whatever else, like, or someone just telling me, okay, eat more protein. That's great. But like, I'm bringing, we have all this baggage with us as women, like how we feel about our bodies, what we're supposed to eat, not eat. Most, a lot of us feel like Mm -hmm. just often feel too big or I don't know. It's it's just, just so many parts of parts about us are wrong, you know? So like having a way to work through that, um, to get a nutrition plan that's actually right for us and understand why, like, that's really what I think we wanted for this course. I think it's crucial. And I think like, I'm so stoked. I mean, just to give them like a teaser for some of the material, just, you know, like the more, like as, as women, we have been sucked into diet culture, whether we like it or not. And as a result, we are less likely to listen to our physiological hunger cues and needs and more likely to listen to these rules about how we should fuel or what we should eat or what we shouldn't eat right especially with the diet culture and all the the diets you know keto whole 30 um more of the like restriction diets but we also know the more that we restrict the even less we are in touch with our physiological cues and needs And then we don't trust ourselves and then we're not as confident and diets fail anyway. Research shows people are consistently likely to gain weight after each diet cycle. So I'm stoked about all of this because we're able to like lay it all out there for female athletes and be like, here's what's up. Like you've been wronged in so many ways. Um, Like here's how to like listen to yourself again and to prioritize your needs where like, you're the one making the rules because you're the, you're the expert of your own body. Like diet culture is not right. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And I think, and I think there's, you know, there's very few women in, well, in the cultural environments where I've lived, certainly 
like North America and the UK that aren't affected by that, like by diet culture um, and have, and, and it presents in various ways, right? So we, in our Slack channel, actually yesterday, we were brainstorming about a post that we're going to put out about how diet culture shows up in athletic communities. And I was like looking for getting people to help with like looking for language. And it just, you know, it just turned into all of our staff members having all these stories and, this mm-hmm. happened and, and everyone's had some kind of, um, mm-hmm. I don't, it's like a psychological disadvantage almost with all of this messaging. Um, so I'm so stoked to have you creating these models in the course that will help us like kind of get under that part of it first, really understand it. And then, like you said, like reconnect to what, um, what food should be in our lives, right. which should ultimately I think be joyful. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like food has a huge, you know, community, culture, yeah, joy, experimentation. Like they're just food does so much for us. And it's so sad when athletes, when women, um, when people lose touch with that because they're so focused on like hitting their macros or their calories. And I'm all for, you know, I'm one for moderation, right? And kind of like you do you. Um, and we also have to look at the literature and the research to see what it says. And like there are some pretty clear trends on how diet culture ultimately affects us, um, both happiness and weight. Right. So. Right. Um, well, well, I'm stoked. Erin, thanks for being here today and chatting with us. And uh, where can people find you if they want to follow? Mm-hmm. Yep. They can find me on Instagram. Um, just searching for Erin Ayala. Um, they can find for more sports psych material. They can find premier sports psychology on Instagram. Um, can also go to our website, premiersportpsychology.com. Um, and then for me, um, we can, I'm trying to think of Instagram, honestly, is probably the easiest way to reach me. Um, cause I check that more than email. So cool. you check your DMs. Yeah, yeah. I'll check my DMs. Amazing. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Erin. Thank you.